Welcome to Strength in the Numbers. My name is Andrew Codd, accountant, author, and commercial finance entrepreneur. And it's my job each week to bring you leaders in finance and business and deconstruct with them their real stories, insights, and hard-won lessons into practical advice on the key strengths and qualities you need to remain relevant in accounting and finance today, as well as the steps you can begin to take to elevate the impact you make to have a fun, successful, and rewarding career in accounting and finance. Now let's go over to the show. If you're not on the pitch, if you're not visible, then it's really hard for people, yeah, even your other members of your own team, as it were, to accept you when you have something to say. I think you have to be on the pitch. You have to be seen to be working for the team, playing your role, supporting others in their role. So I think it is indeed getting out, getting away from number crunching. It's getting away from your desk. It's, it's making connections. It's building bridges. And nobody's going to do that for us. It's incumbent on us to build those bridges. And I think that's a really important part about being in a position to have an impact. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's Strength in the Numbers. Now, you've just heard from this week's guest mentor, Amr Shah, who has had over 20 plus year career in senior finance roles involving blue chip listed and smaller privately owned organizations across FMCG, food and beverages, retail, apparel, and sporting goods sectors. But Amrish has also shared his thoughts on a number of events and online publications. And actually, we go into some of those key ideas on this episode together. We start off discussing three ways people can build up an experience base to help better decision-making within their organizations. Also, the importance of being visible and the steps we can take not just only as finance professionals, but as leaders of finance professionals to help our teams become more visible. Also, we discuss the, the process of establishing credibility and having a continuous improvement mindset that's visible to our stakeholders to help them create value in their functional processes so we're delivering even bigger impacts in our organizations. And also, the characteristics or what Amherst calls the eight C's of a modern finance professional and how we can be aspiring towards those. So look, hope you really enjoyed the conversation. If you did, we really appreciate it when you share it with your friends and colleagues. You can subscribe on all the major platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spotify and Amazon Music. And thanks again for tuning in today. So that's enough from me. So without further ado, over to Amrish on the show. Amrish, welcome to the show. Thanks, Andrew, for having me. Yeah, I'm very excited to have you and some of our audience are probably familiar with your, your work, uh, particularly your writings. But before we go into some of those, uh, would you mind maybe uh, sharing with us uh, your journey in finance and accounting, please? Yeah, sure. So I, I did my secondary schooling and, and university in, in the UK and then I joined Unilever. So Unilever were um, doing the milk round as it was known then. And so I joined Unilever in 1995. But the funny story is, that I actually applied to Unilever to join their marketing function. And that was because <laughs> typically being Indian, members of my family were also already in the accounting profession. My dad was, my brother was. So of course you naturally want to rebel against that. So I absolutely didn't want to get into the uh, finance function. So I applied for marketing, but unfortunately Unilever in their wisdom took two, two minutes to look at me or two seconds perhaps and said, there's no way you're going to survive in our marketing function. But we think maybe you might do well in our commercial function, as it was called then, which is now the finance function. 
So that's how I ended up in in finance all those years back with Unilever, and and through Unilever, then I also ended up doing uh, taking my CMA exams and qualifying. So I'm now actually a fellow, chartered management accountant. Which so and I moved with Unilever to the Netherlands after about six years with them in the UK, and that was in 2001. And I've stayed here in the Netherlands uh, since then, finishing off a few more years with Unilever. Uh, and then various jobs at a senior level, regional or global level, with companies such as Staples, O'Neill, uh, and then recently been doing a few interim assignments with the likes of Cal and the More Shine, a media production company. So, so yeah, yeah, my entire career in in finance, but my interests are much broader than that around leadership, around culture, around in particular decision making, and those kind of things. So that's what I remain passionate about: bringing back into the finance. Or what does it mean for a finance function and its services? Actually, you know, thinking about it, there, Marsh, you were probably ahead of the game a little bit because if 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 you're thinking about joining marketing originally, and I know you ended up in a commercial function at a fantastic business, I mean, and like the whole marketing thing is coming a bit more into finance nowadays in terms of being aware how we're perceived by other departments, breaking down various different silos, having to go out there, add value, get put ourselves into our business partners or internal or external customers shoes when it comes to the understanding their decision-making process. And I think as we were speaking off air as well, as we, we trained as accountants or management accountants, and that was about getting information from relevant information from A to B in a timely fashion. But that doesn't in itself mean that's going to help them make decisions. We, we have to position a particular way for them. Absolutely. I think uh, you hit the nail on the head. I think uh, in those days, our professional qualifications and our on-the-job training tended to really focus on the delivery of that information, right? Uh, the best quality information, eh? the, the most relevant in a timely manner. So I would call it on time, in full, in quality. But as you said, that's only the analysis part, delivering it. At some point, somebody has to make a decision, and normally, at least in this day and age still, before the age of the machines takes over, who knows, that is still human beings. So I think at some point, the analytical part, the rational side of the argument is only one piece. And then we have to shift to the emotions of how people make decisions. How do senior leaders whose neck is on the line for taking a decision and having to live with the consequences of their decisions with their teams, how can we help them um, make a decision that may be uncomfortable, that maybe uh, that they're nervous about making, that may involve yeah. risk-taking? And I think that's something we don't, tend to learn a lot formally. I think it's stuff that you learn as you go through your career, having good mentors, really reflecting on your own decision-making style and observing other people's and, and talking about those things. And Yeah, but, but I suppose some of our more seasoned audience members are probably thinking, yeah, God, yeah, that's, yeah, you don't learn that stuff when you're doing your training. And I've had to learn a lot of that on the job. And you got probably some of our younger listings saying, okay, how do I get that experience how do i start developing that sort of stuff you can only learn on the job where where, where does someone start with that amrish yeah so i think there's a couple of things uh, i think one is decision making and how people use the neurological elements to it the behavioral elements to it the psychological elements of it there is more than enough not just research but practitioners experts in those fields so i think the first thing is people should if they're interested in improving their ability and their self-awareness on that, they need to read. They need to go out there and, and dig into that kind of stuff to learn. It's about just gathering some knowledge. I think that's one. I think the second thing is, 
in the job itself or in the work environment. Look at people, try to find people who you think um, have a very distinct decision-making style. And whether you call them mentors or whatever, try to reach out and talk to them and say you're interested in that. And can they help you understand a bit how they make decisions, yeah? what's relevant for them, etc. So try to find good examples of things that interest you with people and, and, and learn from that. And I think the third obvious thing is just find yourself in a situation where you are in a situation where somebody is making a decision, even if you're only observing or indeed if you're supporting that, it could be a project or whatever, and then talk to those people afterwards and just try to understand what made that decision difficult, if anything, or not. So I think those are two or three very practical ways for somebody at the early stage of the career, if they're interested in it and if they really want to understand that, to get into building up a sort of knowledge bank, some experience bank of those things. And the last thing, of course, is be aware of your own decision-making style. So look back in your life as to when you found it difficult to make a decision, explore why uh, that was the case. So just buddy up with somebody who knows you well, whether it's friend within work or outside, whether it's your partner, somebody who knows you well, uh, and look at decisions you made in all parts of, um, of your life, not just at work. And try to understand what makes some things difficult for you and what doesn't, and try to learn about why that is. That's great practical advice, Amrish. And I just wish someone maybe someone to share that with me, or maybe I'd been a bit more proactive in seeking it out, because that is probably the right way of doing it. Uh, I would encourage our audiences not to do it the wrong way, which is the way I did it, which was just say whatever came to my mind and be very rational about it and say, if you look at this framework and the numbers, this is what it says and this is what you need to do, rather than positioning it for people in a way that was more digestible to them and was more relevant to them. And I think I'd love to go with the sort of the theme you started with the marketing there. I think marketing is very much about positioning things in a way that customers can relate to. And in finance, we've got access to the data, information, we've access to great tools to be able to analyze it. But we also have access to decision makers and we live in their world. So there's tremendous opportunities to do this in the right way to typically remain relevant to making an impact. And I think that's where a lot of your writings are going, if you don't mind me summarizing, is about how we can make a better impact in finance. We've been talking about the modern finance team for a long time now, but we're still talking about it. So where perhaps could we focus or or accelerate our efforts a bit more? Yeah, and I think, again, we come back to what you talk about with marketing. And at the end of the day, our product, what we deliver in whichever finance function or sub-function, right, whether it's FPNA or business control or even accounting and reporting, there is always a customer. It's always someone. And what we tend to deliver or what we will deliver is information. And we shouldn't forget that the information is always there to persuade. Everything in life, including everything at work, is to persuade someone. In the case of marketeers, it is coming up with creative ways to persuade consumers or customers to buy their products rather than somebody else's, right? And it's very black and white. In our case, as finance, it's persuading our internal customers to either sign off, if it is something around a a statutory report or whatever, right, from a compliance or or if it's about uh, compliance, or in the case of business finance, it's about influencing them to take what we feel could be the best decision. I think where we can actually have more impact, I think, is just what I said before. Continue to work and think about how decisions get made in 
the organization. Ensure that you are playing your role in having a more visible and a transparent decision-making governance yeah, process. And also be very clear as to who is making the decision and what other information that they can have that you don't have. So we shouldn't forget that we as finance will probably have a data set which we'll work with in order to conduct our analysis. But we often fall in the trap of thinking that is the most relevant or that is the only data set that we have. It isn't, right? Because everybody else in the team, including the decision maker, will also have access to information, whether it's informal or other kinds of formal data. And you have to be aware of that and you have to bring that into your analysis, yeah, to be able to synthesize something for the customer. Otherwise, we're not doing a good enough job. I I think that's where I think in terms of having impact, being humble, letting go of control, our own self-importance that we are the most important point when it comes to establishing the truth, the facts, that's not the case. And actually, and I, yeah, it has to be, but I think an entry point into that is what you said at the start of that was about, about having that sort of transparent process and being visible, i.e. coming out from behind our desks or in modern days is getting on those virtual calls. Yeah. It's to build trust, right? We've got to start with some rapport, some trust, right? I think if you're not visible on the pitch, and I'm a big fan of football, so I always try to use the other, some analogies where it works with the pitch eh, or with coaches and players and then teamwork. But if you're not on the pitch, if you're not visible, then it's really hard for people, yeah, even your other members of your own team, as it were, to accept you when you have something to say. I think you have to be on the pitch. You have to be seen to be working for the team, playing your role, supporting others in their role. So I think it is indeed getting up, getting away from number crunching is getting away from your desk it's it's making connections it's building bridges and nobody's going to do that for us it's incumbent on us to build those bridges and i think that's a really important part about being in a position to have an impact i agree i, I definitely agree with you there amrish and i think there's some maybe i say finance leaders listening in as well thinking all right uh, i know our team should be doing this and, and they're not <laughs> or they could be doing it more are there any sort of things we can be doing as leaders to help encourage our teams a bit further along this path to become more visible? Yeah, I think that's uh, a great question. Ultimately, I'm a, I'm a big believer in that the tone at the top is important. It's mm-hmm. not the only thing that's important. I think people have more control over what they do and how they do than they think they do. I think as leaders, there's a couple of things. I think sharing your own leadership journey about what's worked for you, how you've developed into the leader you are around those kind of things. Eh? I think sharing those openly with your team is very helpful. It doesn't happen very often, right? And the reason it doesn't happen a lot is because the leaders don't make time for it. Because if you're the CFO or if you're the chief accountant or whatever, apparently you are very busy with your time because you're doing things. You're in meetings, you're doing influencing stakeholders around things, whatever. You're busy. So I think if there's one thing that I would advise senior leaders to do, if they want their team to improve or to uh, develop, is spend more time talking about those things that you develop and learn through experience and share that and encourage them to share with each other, to support each other, but make it a topic of 
the teams. Because if you don't, it's not going to happen because you are so busy in the operational kind of day-to-day, -day, just running sometimes to stand still, that this becomes a luxury. But ultimately, it's one of the most important things in the yeah. long term. I'm with you. This is far from a luxury. I think that at the start of the week, those meetings are the most important and need to go in first. It's that sort of sharing of stories within the team, having team wash-ups and also one-to-ones where those stories can get that shared. And then beyond, because like it's a team that allows you to scale. And I think that's where a lot of leaders are struggling with is they're, they're coping with the extra demands being placed upon them all the time, the overload and the people, everyone wanting a bit of them and their diaries are already challenged. Yeah. Whereas when you strip it back, the way you get scale is by having your team doing the things they need to be doing. Exactly. And that takes pressure off your diary. Exactly. So, so again, maybe it's just that mindset shift is, okay, how can I find more opportunities? And maybe I just build that in my week is I put those in first and then all the other stuff Maybe I have to start delegating that to the team members to go do because I've given them the skills to be visible, to build the trust, to exactly. ask the right questions. Because, and, and I think just to, so if you take the classic, you know, let's paint the picture. So I have no doubt that most of our finance leaders, when they're having their one-to-ones, that I have no doubt the quality of the coaching that they're doing in those one-to-ones has improved immeasurably compared to 10 years ago, 20 years ago. I have absolutely no doubt about that, which is great. Yeah. But that's one-to-one, -one, right? And like you said, benefits of scale is when those individuals in those teams start talking about those things with themselves rather than just in the one-to-ones with their direct boss. So what will happen is on a Monday morning, there will be a team meeting, right? So we can paint the classic scenario. <laughs> but that the agenda of that team meeting is basically going to be most likely around alignment of what are priorities for this week or for the next two weeks, who is doing what is that, et cetera, any issues, that kind of stuff. It's going to be quite task-oriented. Yes. When actually what you want to do is to get the balance of so about talking about what are we learning, are we struggling with similar challenges around whether yeah, exactly. a particular, et cetera. And I think it's up to then the leader of that team, eh, whether it's the CFO or the, the one level below with their teams, they have to reshape the agenda a bit and they need to make it safe and say, this is important. Let's talk about it. And let's see how we can support each other. I was going to say, uh, use that word safety. <laughs> yeah, it would, but it's, it's key. It's, it's actually funny enough. Actually, I sort of say, I've been saying to people that my wife's studying to become a counselor and studying psychotherapy on, on that journey. And that's one thing that they do is actually they've got this check-in session where it's that safe environment where only the person talking talks, no one else chips in. And people can share what their challenges that week. And then the leader can then steer the conversation in the main section of the, the team meeting yeah. to then discuss some of those. And some people might be able to share advice from within the team to help or even step in to work exactly. with someone to get them through what their, their challenge is. So there's a great example from counseling on how they do that very well. Exactly. And, and I think you have to try those things, but you've also got to make sure that it's doesn't feel like it's a means to an end because then a couple of things might happen, yeah, right? The normal yeah. negative dynamics about people saying, if I help somebody, then I'm only helping them to my detriment. So I think mm -hmm. making it safe for people to say, well, I expect you to support each other because if you don't, then I will see you more as an individual player rather than a team player becomes quite That's important. Yeah? People don't need to yeah. say it in exactly that black and white. Feeling that sense of a strong team, that the sum of the yeah. parts of the team has is can be greater than the individual parts. And that comes mainly around some of the softer stuff around developing how we work with the business, eh? around more people-related things than the technical things.
I, I, I agree. Um, I agree. I, but, but so just, just putting the strands we've been talking about together, I, I have to say one of the things that I think we share similarly, uh, similar value th- thinking about is Lean Six Sigma and how those elements within that provide frameworks to actually uh, work with the business, ask the right questions, look at things in the right way, and also look at what's critical to the customer as well. So we've talked about pulling in marketing tools, counseling tools, and now operational type tools. There's a lot we can still learn in finance, particularly when it comes to things like Lean Six Sigma, right? Lean Six Sigma is a, a, is an obvious example, but the broader thing that I would want to emphasize here is saying that as finance, we're a support function, right? If, if a business didn't exist, we wouldn't exist, right? So we're there exactly. to support business objectives. But in order to achieve those objectives, the business has to be managed. So from a finance perspective, if, we, if our orientation is not on getting ideas from outside that can help the business, then we are way too internally focused yeah? mm-hmm. and only relying on our own maybe formal training or whatever kind of thing. So the ability to scan the environment outside and say, what kind of management practices are working really well elsewhere? What kind of different ways of thinking? What kind of tools like Lean Six Sigma, or I call it not a tool, I call it an approach, mindset. How can that help us improve what we do, which will therefore improve the organization's ability to meet its objectives? I think that's critical. But I think you've got to have a kind of, you know, what we call, what people call a growth mindset. You've got to have a, curious learning mindset and outside in mindset to bring those things in. And I think Lean Six Sigma is a very obvious example because it normally plays to the strengths of finance because it is about process, right? It is about data, data and and analysis, but it's also about the thing that's probably the toughest, which is about customers, that customer orientation. And that's probably the toughest thing about Lean Six Sigma which maybe deters quite a lot of finance functions from taking it seriously because it's traditionally not how they'll come to expect or see their roles as being, right? Yeah, yeah. But that, I, think that's a, I think that's probably a fair assessment. My big thing with Lean Six Sigma is it also provides another method. Well, one, for having an end-to-end understanding of a process. It brings in the people element with what's critical to the customer but also that basic premise that what gets measured gets managed. And yeah. again, if it's again critical to the customer and we keep on top of it, then in theory, it should be driving the business in the right direction and give our teams opportunities to make an impact across the organization and scale. And that's the great thing is if you find something like that works in one area, one, it develops that, how do you say, that body of work to say, oh, maybe we could scale that across other areas or other outcomes, similar opportunities. And then there's the team making an impact and the team's growing and finance is making a difference and so on. And it just builds into a very good perception of finance as a value creator within the business. Uh, And that's the opportunity that we're leaving on the table saying that whilst mm. we can apply Lean Six Sigma approach to our own processes we control. So obviously things like when you close the books, eh, take an easy example, that's something that is pretty much fully under the responsibility and control of the finance function, right? Yeah, so that's something that you can apply Lean Sigma, Six Sigma to very easily, Definitely. okay? Definitely. But once you've done that and you've established some success in whatever measures of success by either shortening it or taking out redundant steps, etc., so delivering a quality, uh, del- del- delivering the same product, let's say, at either faster or delivering a better quality product at the, in the same time or whatever, doesn't matter. But once you've established success, 
you can take that and apply it and be able to have impact on other functions to look at yeah. their processes. Well, imagine that. Imagine, imagine giving, okay, it's one thing to give a, a finance professional or an accountant some time back from a process, right? Imagine if you could do that for a salesperson or someone in exactly. ops. Then that's going to drive better bottom line value for the business. Absolutely. So, but you've got to establish some credibility. Exactly. By, exactly. We've experimented by applying it here and the usual stuff with anything, eh? two steps forward, sometimes one step back. <laughs> we've worked out how it can be applied and this is how it worked for us and this is what it delivered. Now, if you look at your sales process in this particular area, whatever it is, we see some fairly similar elements which could be ripe for some investigation and we can do that together right yeah, because it may be a, a repeatable process it is something that there are distinct steps to it eh? it may involve lots of different handoffs or interfaces anything that could be ripe for an overcomplicated or an over-engineered process which ultimately involves a customer at the end you can make that business case but you have to have some evidence that you've done stuff and not just a theory Definitely, um, definitely. So it always starts with us in our own house first before we can try to have the impact somewhere else. I think, I think that's a great way to go and summarize it. It's like getting our own house in order with the various things we've been discussing, Amrish, before we start trying to get the rest of the business's house in order. <laughs> but that's, it's always a dilemma, isn't it? Because I think we're guilty sometimes of trying to put the business first because we are a support function and we wouldn't be there without the business. But I think if we're going to be that modern finance function and not just keep talking about it. I think we probably have to get ourselves sorted first before we can have the, the credibility to do the business. Or is there a way of just balancing the two and, and working on both at the same time? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on which part of finance you sit. I think so. Let's take the example where this would be most prevalent, which is the more business facing parts of finance. And normally they tend to be what we call either FPNA or business control. So, yeah, there is a pressure where you feel. Like you said, if you're working with marketing or sales, that you think, oh my God, look, they can do these things much, much simpler, much in a different way, which will improve the outcomes. So let me go and talk to them. But I think what again helps in terms of the balance that you talk about is even when you're in those business facing roles in finance, the way, the thing you control is how you do your work. The way you organize yourself to deliver what your internal customers, what the marketing manager, or the sales manager expects you to deliver to them, right? As part of your services, you can organize yourself. And if you cannot show and demonstrate that you are always thinking from a continuous improvement perspective about how you're organizing to deliver those products, again, either better quality products, again, faster, or with less defects, i.e. getting it right first time. If you cannot demonstrate that, I think it's hard to get that balance and try to convince the business uh, people to then say, why don't I help you with an opportunity that you may have? Yeah. I can help you because look, this is the way I've improved the way I do things. Yeah? So you can see by applying that in my own area of control, yeah, which is for you ultimately, this is how I've simplified stuff. This is how I think now we're in a better place than we were five months ago. So how, how about doing that also in some of the areas you may be finding yeah, I know. I agree. I like that. And actually, one 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 thing, one tip I actually learned off someone as well was, if you're looking to introduce a, an enhanced control, a better control, is try and take something away at the same time. Yeah. So you're not putting a control on top of a control on top of a control. Yeah. It's just that give and take, that sort of appreciation. So, great advice. I really appreciate 
the various different strands we pulled it there but i suppose in terms of yourself what's been the best bit of advice you've ever received oh the best piece of advice i think i have ever received yes that's a tricky one let me think i think the best piece of advice yeah I, it's a while back and i'm not going to embarrass the person uh, maybe they're not embarrassed maybe they'll feel very happy but i'm not going to embarrass them by telling you who, who they are but i think What's helped me a lot is when and it's not just one person. There have been variations in that. People telling me to just, let's say, relax, right? I'm, I'm a fairly, I have a certain restlessness and a sense of urgency and I like change uh, and driving change. But sometimes people, uh, people in the past have said, just stop trying too hard. And what happens is that you get people who sometimes, for absolutely good reasons, try to end up adding too much value. I know it sounds very strange, right? Can you ever actually add more value than is needed? But mm. you can because it can be overwhelming, <laughs> right? Yes. It's about focus and priority. So so the best piece of advice eh, and, and variations on that theme I've received is just sometimes take a step back, relax, think about whether your priorities, you're focusing on the right things and don't try uh, to add more and more things even though the intentions are well. Needed. So it's almost like, to your point, one in, one out. So if you think you're going to get involved in something else, what else is going to have to go to? Yeah, that that is really great advice. The, the practicalities of it and, and, uh, and putting it into practice could be a bit tricky because it's always about more and more, but sometimes less is, you, you can't do more without doing a bit less. Yeah, that, right? that's a great point. And I think two things uh, I would add to that, which if people struggle with that saying, it sounds easy, like you said, in, pra- in theory, but harder to do it in practice when you have the pressure of, demands from everywhere exactly, i think there's yeah. two things and i think it's harder it's of course a little bit harder when you're at the early stage of your career right because oh yeah you want to prove yourself for sure yeah, yeah? that is just yeah. a dynamic that happens and we should embrace that we should never try to get rid of that but i think as you get older maybe it's just for wisdom or whatever two things you have to be very <laughs> two things you have to be hard about with yourself one is learn how to say no in the nicest mm. way possible yeah. even with more senior people just learning how to say no. Subtraction adds a lot more value than you think than addition. I think that's one. And I think the second thing is continue to become more self-aware about recognizing the signs and the symptoms when you think you are being overstretched. And that is very unique to everybody, right? Because we all react to stresses in different ways and we all have our own individual boundaries about when is too much. And only by surrounding yourself by trusted people, eh, whether it's, again, family or best friends or partners or whatever who know you really well, don't be afraid to use those people to be able to tell you, wait a second, I think you're coming close to the edge where your capacity is at 100% mentally or physically or whatever. Yeah, so those two things can help as you get further in your career to, to be able to relax and, and feel good. Yeah, because I think, because uh, if you don't relax, you'll never get that opportunity to to give yourself a pat on the back, to appreciate where how far you have come and, and the great things you're doing and, and be humble about it. Well, appreciating yourself, absolutely. We don't tend to do enough about it ourselves. And sometimes it's because we think we need to be humble. And, and actually, most things are teamwork. It's very rare that a, something is just due to one person but i think appreciating your role in it is very important it's just psychologically very healthy that's one but i think also forgiving yourself because there is no doubt throughout <laughs> yeah. your career that you're going to do stupid things intentionally or unintentionally 
you're going to end up being mean to somebody just again hopefully unintentionally but you're going to do stuff that is interpreted wrongly you're going to make mistakes but take the time to just accept it embrace it apologize if you have to whatever but also forgiving yourself if you don't then you're in a psychologically uh, you're at risk of being psychologically in an unhealthy place uh, yeah i i know I, i completely agree with what you're saying amrish uh, so thank you for sharing great advice there and i suppose if our audience wants to maybe check out some useful resources what resources documentaries books articles could, could you recommend i think i'm a big fan of coaching again it was something that i really got into when i was at unilever which is quite funny because i actually didn't manage too many people while I was at unilever but it's of course helped me a lot since then when i've managed large teams and because i'm a sports fan so there's a few movies which really helped helped a little bit about understanding how different coaching styles are so that there's a movie called coach carter with uh, samuel l jackson moneyball itself is an interesting one eh, which oh, is more yeah. around use of analytics i really enjoyed that and and uh, made me think a bit uh, and there's a film called hoosiers which is also about basketball and about coaching i think if you talk about documentaries eh, there, there's one on netflix the last time uh, was we in lockdown with following michael jordan called the last dance and that was a very interesting documentary about seeing somebody with those kind of talents but it was all about leadership right performance and about the consequences of your own leadership style when you work in a team setting so that was i think quite interesting if i talk about books i would say there's two books that i would really have, made, have had a big impact to me over the last few years one one is factfulness it's by a guy called hans rosling and it's an amazing book right and it, and it talks about how we make so many mistakes when we interpret data and they use publicly available data big data sets right from the world bank or whatever to just talk about all sorts of things in the world and how they are presented and what they mean so i think that's a really great book if people are analytically minded but in order to be skeptical about what because what is not necessarily what you should be getting in the first instance it's a great book right to make you critically evaluate data and how it's presented and the other one is a guy that I really admire but he sadly passed away this year a guy called Clayton Christensen he wrote the innovators dilemma long time ago which has been one of the very impactful business books of the last 20 years i would say uh, and he wrote a book called how will you measure your life and then he talked uh, said he demonstrated he talked about different perspectives in how you can look at how you do things in life which can be very relevant for in the workplace and vice versa right because ultimately you are who you are and it is very reasonable and likely that the approaches and the mindsets and the things you do in your life will be the things that you will also rely on when you're in the workplace so i think that really made me stop and think a lot when i read it uh, and i could i tend to read it again on a fairly regular basis or dip into it That that sounds they sound like great recommendations. So so again I don't think we had those before so we will add those with the show notes our audience can go check those out. And I suppose if our audience wish to continue the conversation with you where's the best place to connect? At? They can connect or of course LinkedIn but I think of course if also through this podcast right if there's feedback on any of the points we've talked about and people want to get into it more than again either via LinkedIn but even if they're able to uh pose their questions on this and then I should be able to get those and I can uh, I can respond uh, directly or we can even think Andrew about building on it depending on if there are some themes that emerge and uh, things that people find yeah. interesting uh, from that 
I, I really liked that suggestion, Emirates. So, so thanks, thanks for that. And look, uh, going want to be respectful for your time. We've, we've covered loads of different areas. But before we wrap up, would you perhaps have any parting thoughts for our audience? I think I've, I've written something about, I think, the type of, and it's on LinkedIn, but it's also on fpnatrends.com, eh? about the kind uh, of qualities, I would call it, characteristics of what a modern, and I think it was mainly, again, business finance professionals should be aspiring to if they want to have an impact. And there are all Cs. There are eight of them. There are eight Cs. And I would say that I find, again, when recruiting and when talking to young people coming out of education or at the early stages of their career, these are the things that I look for when I'm trying to hire people. And these are the, because these are the things that interest me. These are things what make people interesting and make them coachable, yeah, the eagerness to learn. And those eight things are curiosity, creativity, challenging, compassionate, critical, committed, candid, and courageous, and or having courage. So I would say for people, think about, you want to make a career in finance? It's never only about the deep expertise, the domain expertise and the technical things. Think about who you are and how you are developing constantly. What are you learning? How is that changing how you look at things? How you interact with people to get stuff done? So I would, I would, I would just say that's the last piece of... Um, well, Emerson, what a great way to, to finish the show. So look, thank you so much for being such a great guest and coming on Strengthen the Numbers today. No problem. Thank you for inviting me. It's, um, it's, been, it's been great to participate. So there you have it. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you'd like to know more about our guests today, their bio, and follow up on the resources mentioned during the show, you can find all the relevant links and more at sitnshow.com. There you'll also be able to get access to earlier shows, read the latest blogs. There's also an opportunity to subscribe to our newsletter which will give you heads up as to when the next show is coming out, latest events, news, and anything that's going to be relevant to help you have a fun, rewarding, and successful career in finance and accounting. And just before you go, we really appreciate your feedback. If there's something we can do better on the show, something that's not working, or something you'd like to see, even a guest you'd like for us to invite onto the show, someone who you think might be able to benefit you more and also the rest of our community, please let me know. You can email me. I'm at andrew at sitnshow.com or feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Just drop me a message so I know how you found me and we can connect. And really, it's our community that will make the show. If we keep engaging and driving each other on, we'll keep on building our strength in the numbers. And when all is said and done, if we can do the numbers better and finance better, we'll create more opportunities for ourselves, our friends, our families, our communities and our businesses. So until next time, have a good rest of the week. Take care and let's keep building our strength in the numbers. 